The scripture this morning is from Philippians 3, 1 through 11. It can be found on page 6 of your bulletin. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who have put, com- who have put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that is which through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so, somehow, attaining to the resurrection from the dead. As always, we're going to have a time of Q&A, time for you to ask questions about this teaching um, just after the sermon, so feel free to jot those down or keep them in mind, and we'll discuss uh, right after. Uh, But let's take a look at this passage, but first, let's pray. God, we pray that you would send your spirit, that he would come and um, be upon our minds, our hearts, upon these words that you've given us special words that you've given us for this unique moment in time, for wherever we're at, each of us in our spiritual journeys, we know we need each of us to be ministered to uniquely, and only you can do that, to roam and weave through this entire room and do your will. So please do that. We expect that you will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know if any of you currently are looking for a job or if you are looking for some work opportunity. Times are always tough in that department. Some of you I know are summer interns. Maybe it took you uh, a long time to find the position you're in. Some of you might be gearing up for a new opportunity in the fall. And of course that means uh, dusting off an old resume, applying for a job, uh, submitting an application. And so if I may uh, briefly encourage you with uh, some humorous uh, resume fails uh, that I came across uh, just so that you know uh, that you're in good company and the competition is light. Um, Funny things that you find on some job applications out there. Uh, One person, for example, listed on their resume, this is for real, uh, married, eight children, prefer frequent travel. 
another person listed in their special skills section, really special skills typing, spelled T-H-Y-P-I-N-G, T-H-Y-P-I-N-G, really special skill. Um, One person uh, listed my, uh, uh, as a uh, skill, something to commend themselves to a potential employer, my ruthlessness terrorized the competition and can sometimes offend. Uh, You never know when that might come in handy. Uh, On the other hand, another person said, I I can play well with others. Uh, I don't know if that was a kindergartner uh, applying for that job. I can play well with others. Uh, Finally, one person wrote here, my fortune cookie said, your next interview will result in a job, and I like your company in particular. Uh, We need all the help we can get, uh, don't we? Of course, it's funny to laugh at, but if it were us submitting such a resume with uh, such mistakes, uh, we wouldn't be laughing. We would be maybe bent over sore or full of regret or uh, difficulty uh, because we put a lot into our resumes, don't we? Uh, We put a lot into our public reputations, how people evaluate us, how people rate us over against the competition. In fact, it's probably not inaccurate to say that we uh, place a lot of our personal confidence in things like our resumes. This, of course, is language that the Apostle Paul uses, putting our confidence in the things that we have achieved and the things that we are. And of course, this extends far beyond the realm of the workplace to ways in which we relate to other people, ways in which we see ourselves, form a personal identity, the way we put our confidence personally in the things that we are and the things that we do. Did you know that at the heart of the Christian faith lies this question? Where do you place your confidence? What's the source of your confidence, your boast, which is another word that Paul uses here? Your confidence before other people, before God, even before yourself, the reflection in the mirror. This passage addresses that question, and we're going to look at it in two parts briefly here together. Two parts. First, false confidence in my resume. Then secondly, true confidence in Christ's resume. Paul talks about this in two parts. False confidence in my own resume. Secondly, true confidence in Christ's resume. You'll notice, first of all, in terms of false confidence that Paul probes and points out, in verses 4 through 6, Paul says this, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he proceeds to list off essentially what is his personal spiritual resume, his credentials. And you say, well, these things don't mean much to me. Now, if I could briefly explain, we could talk about them in much more detail, but briefly, he says he was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he's pointing out that he's not a religious newbie, not a new Jewish convert, but rather one from birth. 
He says he's of the people of Israel. In other words, he's from the right race of people chosen by God. Of the tribe of Benjamin, he's from the right family. He's got the right heritage. A Hebrew of Hebrews, he's a culturally pure Jew, speaking ancient Hebrew and following Hebrew customs, not transformed by Greek society around them. He says, in regard to the law of Pharisee, meaning he's kept the law to the strictest, and he's held himself to the highest of moral standards. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. In other words, he's pointing out the intensity of his beliefs, his passion. He was an activist, in fact. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless, he kept all the rules. Later on in verse 9, he describes this as a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. Paul is talking about the way in which we all put our confidence in these types of things, which you might call our personal resumes. The things we are and the things we do as a basis of acceptance by God, by other people, what helps us to fit in, what makes us feel like we have access, like we're significant, like we're loved. Is it heritage, family? Is it the things you've accomplished in life professionally or relationally? Uh, maybe you tell yourself, I I'm somebody because of the number of friends that I have. Is it the way in which you've been able to stay out of trouble? Is it the way that you've been able to get out of trouble? Whatever it might be, each of us in our different spheres of life tend to quietly, sometimes loudly, place our confidence in this or that. Physical appearance, the quality of your stroller, the behavior of your kids, your athleticism, your faithfulness in your marriage, how much you give to charity, how committed you are, to a good cause. Things that we look to to make ourselves feel like we measure up or things that we fail to achieve and therefore beat ourselves up feeling as we do like a failure. This is our righteousness, to use Paul's word, the things that we boast in, maybe even if silently, deep in our heart, the things that give us confidence, that allows you to stand straight before others, before God. Accept me, receive me, love me because of this, because of who I am. As Paul says, a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. And yet Paul points out that it's a false confidence, these things. Because there's a problem. It doesn't work. It is not firm ground on which we are called to stand, on which we can stand. As he says in verse 7, 
But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In other words, he's saying, I didn't realize it then, but I do now, that each of these different things on that list that I would rehearse in my head or present to the world or to God himself, each of these things that I used to think were plus points for me were actually minus points for me. What I thought were gains were actually losses. What I thought counted for me and commended me, actually counted against me, and disqualified me from acceptance, from righteousness. It's almost like you're applying for a job and you list off all your qualifications only to realize that they're looking for a completely different candidate. In fact, everything you listed was the very thing they didn't want. Like depositing checks into your bank account thinking that your balance were going up when in fact somehow you were actually making withdrawals. With each act, with each good deed, with each thing that you thought gave you reason to puff up your chest. Because, as you know, the Bible tells us what counts before God is not just the deeds that we do, the things that we accomplish, but also, indeed, the motives underneath them. The reasons for which we do these things, and a heart that I have, and a heart that you have, surely we can say, if we're honest, that even our best deeds are tainted by our sin and our selfishness. As many good things as I do on the outside, deep inside, how much and how often they are motivated by fear, by guilt, by pride, a will to make myself look better, by an attentiveness to my own needs and my own reputation, not really the other person, not really God. And therefore the Bible can say by the prophet Isaiah, that even our best righteousness, our best deeds, are like filthy rags, are like minus points when it's all added up. Paul said, the things that I used to place my confidence in, not only are they not actually winning me favor with God or in the eyes of other people, in fact, he says, I now consider them garbage. If you take that word and look at it literally in the way that Paul uses it, in the way the word was used in the ancient Greek context, it literally means rubbish or even excrement. Paul is bringing a certain pathos behind his realization that everything that I thought was winning for me is actually totally crap. Have you come to realize these things? about even your best efforts to impress God, the things that you normally stand upon for confidence in this world? Are you beginning to sing along with the hymn writer Horatius Bonar these words that we'll sing once in a while together? Not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul.
Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Paul is saying he's learned to stop trusting in these things, to stop seeing them as the answer, to stop banking his life for confidence on these items on his personal resume because they are in fact garbage. And not only because they're tainted by our selfishness and fear and guilt and pride underneath, but don't you know, it's these very things that give us a sense of confidence and okayness even apart from God. You see, our uh, strengths in these personal resumes, again, not just in the workplace and achievements, but also in our gifts relationally, interpersonally, emotionally, what have you. That these are the sorts of things, even as they are gifts from God, that we can begin to bank our lives on so that we won't need God or sense our need for God. You see, in the Bible's calculation, sin and what disqualifies you from favor with God isn't just breaking the rules, it's also keeping the rules so that you can avoid Christ. And therefore, being a Christian, friends, isn't just giving up bad things, being a Christian is also learning to give up on the good things as a way of getting right with God. It's not just getting rid of the bad things in life, it's also turning away from the good things as the source of ultimate confidence and identity before the world. And that makes all the difference, doesn't it? Because, oh, how many people in the name of Christ are really only turning themselves over, not to him, but to Christian morality. Or how many people come towards a spiritual investigation thinking that all they're looking at and all they're really considering are more Christian ways to be good. Another way to put it is, far too many people don't realize that in the name of Christ, they've only made themselves more religious, which is a quite different thing from truly knowing Christ. Because religious people only repent of their badness, but gospel people repent of their badness and of their goodness the ways in which they place their confidence in everything but Christ alone. Which brings us then to Paul's second part of his argument. Where then does true confidence come? It comes in Christ. Not in our resume, list of accomplishments, identity markers, who I am, but rather 
in who he was and what he did. As the Apostle Paul writes, verse 7, Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Paul is saying that God gives you, gives me a true resume, a perfect resume, a, 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 a record of accomplishments and deeds and achievements before the law of God, uh, the perfect report card, the perfect job application, the impeccable cover letter that makes you right with God, that gives you true and lasting confidence between Him before him and before the world. Paul says that when you put your trust in him, you are, in verse 9, found in him, which means when God looks at you, he sees, he finds you hidden in Christ. He sees not you morally and legally, but he sees rather Jesus and all that he has accomplished in you. That all of his perfect record of love and righteousness now counts as yours. So that you can, in fact, be loved by God and accepted by God and shown favor by God and blessed of God. Not because you earned it, but because Jesus earned it for you. Because he died the death that you should have died and he lived the life that you should have but didn't live. This is the story of his grace. That we might be found in him having a righteousness of my own, Paul says, that comes not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. And you say, well, what does it mean, this word faith? Helpfully, John Patton, the great Scottish missionary to the South Pacific in the 19th century, he was, as he was working with the local people, searching for a word that would adequately translate what the Bible said in English, faith. So one day, helpfully, he was interrupted by a person in, in some real trouble. They needed help. And they said to him, uh, please, may I come and lean heavily upon you? And he said, aha, there it is. This will work. Faith is leaning heavily upon Christ. Banking upon him and his reputation, not your own. Upon his record of love, not your own. Upon his perfect sincerity of heart, not your own consolations. That I do my best and I hope God will grade me on a curve. Based upon Jesus' life and not your own. By grace, his record counting to your account. Paul says, putting our faith, our trust, our confidence, our boast upon Christ. 
grants us then this promise of salvation where our sin is credited to Jesus on the cross and we're forgiven and his righteousness is credited to us for our salvation. As another stanza of that old hymn that I quoted earlier sings, as we've sung before, Thy work alone, O Christ, can ease this weight of sin. Thy blood alone, O Lamb of God, can give me peace within. Thy love to me, O God, not mine, O Lord, to thee, can rid me of this dark unrest and set my spirit free. Do you want to be free? Do you want to know the freedom of the gospel to your friends? Do you want to be able to sing with real confidence? My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. This is good news for insecure, fearful people like you and me. Performance-obsessed people like you and me. Self-recommending people like you and me who need the deep soul rest of the free offer of the gospel. A new resume, folks. A new record of love in light of your failure. A new source of boast that is boasting in Christ. This is the source of your joy, the source of your hope. Paul says, I want to know this Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. Dear friends, do you really want to know him? Do you want to know this Christ and have this true confidence in this Christ and his resume? Let's pray. And Father, we ask that you would do a work of your spirit in our hearts. That for some, maybe a deep and radical work. Because even though we might walk in the name of Christ, we always need adjustments, some of us big ones. That we might be relocated back onto the firm ground of Jesus. All that you have done. Strip us away of all of our false confidence and all these other things and help us to boast in Christ in whose name we pray. Amen.